Yesterday she'd visualized how the ceremony would progress, and now here it is, the real thing. Her thoughts are muddled by a sleepless night and the unusual September warmth. She tells each person, I'll be fine, as if she were the one who had to comfort them, and because she has nothing left to hope for now. She doesn't believe in the great reunion in a world beyond the grave. They were Henri and Maggie. Now there's only Maggie. She declined to have the reception in the hall next to the church. She prefers the comfort of her own home, surrounded by her own furniture and ornaments. A point of reference in the middle of a situation that she can't control anymore. The way other people look at her redefines her. She has shifted into sepia. Muffled voices mingle in her head. You really ought to have a good cry. Do sit down. Have something to drink. Would you like a cup of tea, an aspirin, a tranquilizer? She repeats the only words still at her command. I'll be fine. On the doorstep, Frederick kisses her on the forehead, as he has always seen his father kiss her. Ludovic nestles close to her skirt and murmurs, I love you, Granny. Suddenly, her sitting room seems huge. Yes, she will be fine. She will round the Cape of Good Hope, cross the Atlantic, and then, if she has any strength left, she will climb Everest. Henri would certainly have thought she hadn't laid on enough goat cheese putty for. She sways, reaches out to the small round table to keep her balance, and the vase of carnations falls over. She looks at the broken glass, the water soaking into the carpet, and the dying flowers bring tears to her eyes. He was always the one who locked the front door, in fact, double-locked it. You can never be too careful, he used to say. She takes off her shoes, the jacket of her grey widow's suit, and drops onto the divan, feeling helpless. She misses Helen. Her sister would have put her arms around her, gathering in her grief. What would she have thought of the three Chopin sonatas played during the service? You should have played a nice bit of rock to get those good folk moving. Her darling Helen is never far away. Automatically, she switches on the TV, which keeps up its eternal transmission of the same games with the same laughter and shrieks from the winners. Pathetic and ridiculous, her husband would have said. She looks at the empty armchair where he always sat. With a scotch on the table beside him, he would switch from a political debate to a programme on economics while she buried herself in a book. Without a glance, without words of love, but with neither voice ever rising higher than the other. A man and a woman, two bodies and two minds. He, straight and stiff as a notarial deed. She, a candle flame trembling but not yet extinguished. Having inherited the remote control, she doesn't know which keys to press. On screen there's a Japanese documentary about tuna fishing. When Henri came home from the office, he would open the front door of the house silently, hang up his hat and coat in the hall, and without letting her know that he was back, disappear into his study, emerging only when she announced, Dinner is ready! On the first day of their life together, he'd issued his orders. As a name, Marguerite was too long, too flowery, and Maggie 
was a better match with Henri. Her baptismal name was no longer spoken except on rare occasions and never within her husband's hearing. She was not to have a job outside the home. His sole concession was her voluntary work at the municipal library twice a week. She was always to wear dresses and arrange her hair in a chignon, as she had when they first met. They would not have any pets, only one child, preferably a boy, and in a tone that brooked no contradiction, he concluded, it would be desirable for us to continue using the formal vous to each other. Luckily, Frederick had come along. When their son was born, Henri had landed the boy with his favourite composer's first name, and shortly before he was six years old, had enrolled him at the Saint-Roche boarding school. Marguerite had wept, but she comforted herself by thinking that her only child would be happier surrounded by companions of his own age.